What's going on, people listening to this podcast? It is one of your hosts. My name is Caleb Kosis. And over here... My name is Shelby Salee. And we're here to talk about extremely loud and incredibly close. Now, why we're discussing this book? Well, it is extremely loud, but it is also extremely confusing. And that is because it's literature. And today, we're going to be discussing this piece of literature. We're going to be discussing all the characterization the literary themes, the narration, all of it together, the structure. But before we do that, Shelby, why don't you give us a little summary of the novel? Okay, so this novel includes our main character, Oscar Shell. Woo! He is a young child who has just experienced the death of his father due to the events of 9-11. Aww. I know, very bummed. But now he finds a key that he believes has a past with his father. So he is traveling New York City to try to find the meaning behind the key. And, you know, he goes through a lot of character development and throughout his journey, he discovers a lot about himself and about his family. Now, opposing this view is the perspective of Thomas Schnell, which happens to be his grandfather. We don't know that till the very end. Sorry for any spoilers. Now, Thomas is a very different character from Oscar. And in fact, they both have parallels going through loss. And as we explore this story, we explore how both characters deal with this loss and how it changes them fundamentally. All right, so let's jump right in, Shelby. Why don't you jump into our first impossible question? Of course. So our first impossible question is, why do traumatic events dictate one's future decisions and perspectives on life? And can despondent realizations on the good and bad experiences of the human condition cause one to conclude that life is worse than death? Now, the passage that we chose from this book is at the end of the novel. And this is on page 322. And it states, three hours later, oh, also, this is from Oscar's point of view. Three hours later, when I climbed into the hole, brushed away the dirt, and opened the lid, the renter opened the suitcases. They were filled with papers. I asked him what they were. He wrote, I lost a son. You did? He showed me his left palm. How did he die? I lost him before he died. How? I went away. Why? He wrote, I was afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of losing him. Were you afraid of him dying? I was afraid of him living. Why? He wrote, life is scarier than death. So what's all that paper? He wrote, things I wasn't able to tell him, letters. So this conversation is between Oscar and his grandfather, Thomas. And basically, this is going to be talking about the difficulties that Oscar's grandfather has with coping with his dead son's tragic death. And since he was never there with him, he has a lot that he's going through. Right. And the, and the reason he wasn't there with them is actually you can boil down to human nature. You know, as we go on throughout life, our survival instinct is what keeps us alive. And this survival instinct causes us to adapt to things in our environment. Well, ancient people might have gotten sick after eating a berry. They decided not to continue eating that berry. The same thing goes on with emotional um, stimulus. Now, what's even worse or better for us, but worse for us, the same thing, is we're not in tune with our physical sides anymore. We are 
emotional creatures because we've built this world where we're comfortable and we're happy, but we're only happy because we're surrounded by nice beds and carpeting and jobs that don't require us to put our lives on the line. It's all about emotional uh, struggles. And one of these struggles has been um, for Oscar's grandfather to cope with this loss. Yes. And basically Oscar's grandfather, he feels so strongly about the death of his unborn child and his future lover that he's very reluctant to open his heart again. And through these letters is where he actually begins to show some of his thoughts and some of his true emotions, even though it still is very difficult for him. Mm -hmm. And his character development by this time at the story has finally basically reached its peak as he is internally struggling with working out the bad in life and trying to decide if it's worth the good he is kind of reconciling with his emotions by throwing the letters into the coffin. Mm -hmm. You know, he's becoming a dynamic character and it's going full circle. Um, what's important to mention about this is that it's through Oscar that he has this moment where he buries the letters, but it's also through Oscar that he realizes there should be good and there is good in the life. You know, he misses this entire experience with his son from birth to death. He's not there, but he gets a piece of his son with Oscar. You know, Oscar's created not just physically by his son, but also he's raised by his son. So he gets a piece of who this man that he never really met, but he loved his whole life was. And it causes him to see that there is good. And even though the life of his son was tragically ended, there was still goodness out of it. Um, and so he grows as a person uh, through Oscar, which is essential. And this is where their stories kind of come together. You know, it was only in the past couple of chapters that they were e even introduced as being in the same book. Um, we, Of course, we heard about him as the renter, but that's almost yeah. a completely different character. Yeah, exactly. And I think this that whole passage kind of encapsulates encapsulates, you know, the function of character, which we basically were previously talking about a little bit, Caleb described. But the idea of loss and grief that is essential in the novel is basically showed as Grandpa and Oscar become their own characters and finally, you know, come together in the end. And I think this is where it shows that peace is possible, even if there is loss. Mm -hmm. Finally, I think we should connect it to figurative language. Now, for our figurative language, we were really thinking about the metaphorical things and all of the um, all of the motifs carried through. There's symbols. There's the word choice. Um, this is especially potent in this passage because the letters are a massive motif that we see throughout the story. We see them with. Um, famous people that Oscar writes to, and we see them as grandma writes letters to Oscar and as Thomas writes letters to his son. It's incredibly important that these letters are a piece of communication. And as we go further in our impossible questions, we're going to see that these letters have an even deeper meaning behind the loss. Um, so we'll go back into that a little bit later. But the connection to this driving it full circle um, is ideal. And the final thing I wanted to mention is that after this is after we find out the key is pointless. The key is not necessarily pointless 
to the plot, but it's pointless to our characters. It has no meaning about Oscar's father. And so at first you can be a little bit confused, like why did we spend this entire 300 page novel reading about a key that doesn't open anything important to our characters? But I think the essential part of that is it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And these letters are the journey of Oscar's grandfather and his father's connection. You know, just because they didn't talk didn't mean they didn't have a connection. Um, there was only one letter that Oscar's father read from his his father, Thomas. And uh, there's so many more that by burying them in the empty grave, we realize that it all comes full circle. And even if his son's not alive to see it, um, the two characters finally can be connected in that way. Mm -hmm. So... As we stray away from that first impossible question, we are now going to look at our second one in which Caleb will take the reins on this. All right, here we go. Our question is, can a person truly recover from traumatic experiences that disturb their psyche? And if these experiences affect them on such a deep level, can they ever properly describe what it feels like and how it influences their decisions? So let's bring this to the passage. It is on page 132, and it begins with, I have so much to tell you. The problem isn't that I'm running out of time, but I'm running out of room. It ends with, I've tried in my own way to explain myself, but when I think of your mother's life story, I know that I haven't explained a thing. She and I are no different. I've been writing nothing to. Now, these two ideas are essentially connected. But in the middle, we also talk about how his loss has shaped him for having said goodbye to Anna when maybe I could have saved her or and our idea, or at least died with him. We see that this character is hurting and he can't properly describe what he means. So let's go to our little bit of analysis through this. So in question one, we really did mention how trauma influences our decisions as Grandpa Thomas leaves and he doesn't come back because he's so afraid of this loss. Now, in this question, we're more explaining his thoughts. We're more talking about how he cannot explain his thoughts because of pain and how he cannot recover. I'd like to give you a little bit of example. I know you can't see me, but I am holding a piece of paper right here. It is completely perfect. Uh, no scratches, no scrapes, no wrinkles at all. I'm gonna crumple it up. And I'm gonna stomp on it just a little bit. It's crumbled up and stomped up. Now, I'm going to uncrumple it, bring it back to how it was. Okay, sure. There's no tears. There's no breaks in it. But, and even if I do a little, okay, it's back in its original shape, but it's all wrinkled up. It's kind of broken still. The remnants of what I just did to it don't go away. So, this is what this question really goes into. It's how Grandpa is forever changed by the incident with Dresden. Now, we do see in the last passage, the first question passage, that he does reconcile and he uses his reconciliation through Oscar. However, he's still not the same. We can see this through the way he talks. What he says, nothing. And here's why. Speaking is a metaphor for his pain. When he... He can't speak after he loses his family in Dresden. He loses word by word until he's mute. 
okay? He never gets that back, not once through the novel. And yes, he makes peace through the letters, but he still doesn't talk. This is because the damage done to his psyche is unreversible. You can recover, and this is, speaks to human nature as a whole. Anybody can recover. You can grow and be a person again. But just like this piece of paper I have right here, there's no getting back to brand factory new. You're still carrying those pains with you. And we talked a little bit about perspective with the last one too, how it's human nature with the survival instincts to change our perspective so that we don't do the same thing again. We don't eat that berry that makes us sick in the same way that we can't open our hearts again the same way we did before. And that influences our decisions. It's all interconnected in the way our body reacts to trauma and pain and our mind. And finally, communication. It's such a significant plot point that it's so hard not to mention it. Now, he says, I have, let me read it. Let me read it. <laughs> okay. I have so much to tell you. The problem isn't that I'm running out of time. I'm running out of room. This book is filling up. There couldn't be enough pages. I looked around the apartment this morning for one last time and there was writing everywhere. Okay. He's doing all he can to explain. He's trying and trying to get these words out. But in the end, there's nothing to be said because he can't reach down and grab the pain that's inside of him and explain it. He can't come to terms with his pain, so he can't let anybody else inside and see what he's feeling. The letters help him reconcile. The writing in his walls, the writing on, in the room, all try to explain how he's feeling, explain his actions. But he can't because there's no good reason. Pain is something that is subconscious and ultimately irreversible and uncollectible. Beautiful. That Thank was you. really well said, Caleb. Thank you, Sean. I just wanted to add something, talking about the structure of this novel. And I think it's quite amazing how Foyer kind of shows the letters as well as Oscar's point of view. Absolutely. So the way that Grandpa writes his letters is obviously scattered, and he's very nervous, and he really doesn't know how to deal with any of his emotions. But it's also very great to see Oscar's emotions as well and see how they compare and contrast from one another. They're both dealing with this hardship and trying to cope, but they're both doing it in kind of varying ways. And I think that's just very interesting to see how sadness affects different people as grandpa is not speaking to many people anymore and avoiding grandma, he used to. And Oscar is trying to find something in the void of his loneliness. Yeah, we, we can see it in the structure of the way things are organized. There's pages with just one word on them. There's pages with just a sentence. Those represent the writings on the books. There's pictures throughout the novel that show the tattoos, that show the doorknobs, that show they're visual because grandpa, everything grandpa does is visual. There's no more auditory. And so we don't hear dialogue, but we see images and we see writing on their own pages. Um, Shelby, would you talk a little bit about the narration in relation to Oscar being a little bit naive and grandpa being jaded? Oh, yes, of course. So the narration, basically Oscar, well, the personal outlooks from the characters tend to foil each other in the novel. 
as they display their various outlooks on the novel's theme of grief. Now, Oscar's perspective is obviously the main driver of the plot, and he, it, it introduces multiple characters that really are displayed through a unique lens. But of course, it's immature. But his in-depth way, way of thinking often displays the inner demons that he's truly trying to fight away and his various ways of coping with trauma. Although Grandpa is attempting to deal with this trauma as well, but his narration is very put together. And by put together, I mean like it's all written in one paragraph. So you see, he doesn't really have a lot of time to think separately. He has so many thoughts that he can't put them all together in one. I loved what you said about coping. I wonder if you could lead that into question three. Oh, yes, I can. Okay, so our third and final impossible question is this. Is it essential for us to keep some semblance of control when the situation we are facing is out of our hands. Henceforth, is imagination the ultimate coping mechanism? And I will read a little bit of the passage we chose. From page 73. Yes. So the beginning of the novel. We need much bigger pockets. Oh, this is by Oscar. We need much bigger pockets. I thought as I lay in bed, counting off the seven minutes that it takes a normal person to fall asleep. We need enormous pockets, pockets big enough for our families and our friends, and even the people who aren't on our list, people we've never met but still want to protect. We need pockets for boroughs and for cities, a pocket that could hold the universe. Eight minutes, 32 seconds. But I knew that there couldn't be pockets that enormous. In the end, everyone loses everyone. There was no invention to get around that. And so I felt that night like the turtle that everything else in the universe was atop of. 20, 21 minutes and 11 seconds. Now looking at the analysis of this passage, it's obvious that Oscar is having difficulty dealing with these overbearing situations of the death of his father and how to cope. But there are multiple ways to go around this and the way that many children like to go through, but this is for adults as well, is through imagination. And Oscar takes solace in the imagination of these inventions that could help save his father or get him out of situations that he's currently in. And these inventions give him a sense of control. And a sense of control is honestly the most comforting position to be in because it means that you can dictate what is happening to your life and there's no crazy, obscene occurrences happening. And knowing that he can control the outcome of an event often will make him create a dream world or a dream invention that follows a reality that he would love to live in. Now, this really relates to the setting because this setting is massive city. It's colossal, there's tons of people. So many people, so many locks, so many keys, so many everything. Oscar is just a kid. He doesn't have a job. He's not a father. He's not an employee. So he's really on the bottom of the hierarchical food chain, you know? Um, and it's, it's the clear contrast that relates to this. 
this not just in coping with the loss, but also just being a person in society. Um, these inventions allow him to feel like he can contribute something and allow him to feel like he is um, bigger in position than he is now. And so I think it's important to mention that as a kid, of course, he's going to talk about inventions, but it's also important to talk about adults, like you said, Shelby. Mm-hmm. Um, we imagine the times we have with people when our times reach the end with them. We imagine what could have happened at the pivotal junctions that either keep us from them or the world keep, or we keep them from the world, okay? These junction are moments that time stops within our relationship. It can be a car accident, a breakup, or a last text. But we imagine what happened after this if it wouldn't have happened that way. Say, what could have been? And then we have the memories, which are just imaginations of what did happen. Imagination is something we always use, and even subconsciously, to cope when we're bored or simply just as a way of escaping our situation. Yes, and we can't say that imagination is unhealthy as a way to cope. We can't negate from this fact. So it's important to realize that what Oscar is doing is not very harmful, but yes, this can be a great coping mechanism, but honestly, it's not the ultimate coping mechanism as many people cope in different ways. All right, that's about all the time we have. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please feel free to listen again if you're interested. I'm your host, Caleb Kosis. And I'm Shelby Salee. And we're out. Woo!